Well, God bless you. Welcome to the wonderful Words of Life radio program. Uh, I'm so glad that you are tuned in to this program. And we are in Luke chapter 14. And we'll be talking about some things that Jesus experienced and Jesus taught. Things that are pertinent to us today. Amen. So we'll go ahead and pray and we'll get right into the teaching of the Word of God. Father, we bless you in the name of Jesus and we thank you for the Holy Spirit who has come alongside of us to help us both in the delivery of the Word and in the receiving of the Word. We yield ourselves to you now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Praise God. Well, like I said, we're in Luke chapter 14 and we'll be going through this chapter in this session. And we start off with a miraculous healing that Jesus performed on the Sabbath day. Now, this is the seventh time that Jesus healed somebody on the Sabbath day. So that means that this is the seventh time that he has uh, enraged uh, the religious order of that day. And let's follow along, beginning in verse 1. And it came to pass, as he went into the house of one of the chief Pharisees to eat bread on the Sabbath day, and they watched him. Notice that. And they watched him. Amen. He was invited to eat on this in the Pharisee's house on Sabbath day. For what purpose? So that they could watch him to see what he would do. And behold, there was a certain man before him which had the dropsy. Now, dropsy was a disease that uh, the body uh, would not release water. It would retain water, and it was an incurable disease. And Jesus answering spake unto the lawyers and Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath day? And they held their peace. Notice that. And they held their peace. And he took him and healed him and let him go. And Jesus answered them, saying, Which of you shall have an ass or an ox fallen into a pit? And will not straightway pull him out on the Sabbath day. Notice verse 6. And they could not answer him again to these things. Why? Because they knew Jesus was right and they were wrong. But they hated him anyway. Amen. And we're going to see this in just a little bit. Verse 7. Now Jesus begins teaching on humility. Now this, uh, what Luke recorded in verses uh, 1 through 6 now is going to set up the rest of this chapter. And he put forth a parable to those that were bidden when he marked how they chose out the chief room, saying unto them. So here's Jesus sitting and he's watching these people come in and he's watching them. You know, they're choosing these men. These men of pride are choosing the chief seats. All right. Now, let's follow along. Verse eight. And when you are bidden, if any man of any man to a wedding, sit not down in the highest room lest a more honorable man than you be bidden of him. And he that bade thee and him come and say to thee, give this man place, and you begin with shame to take the lowest room. But when you are bidden, go and sit down in the lowest room, and when he that bade thee come, he may say to you, friend, go up higher. Then you shall have worship in the presence of them, honor, respect, in the presence of them that sat at meat with you. For whosoever exalts himself shall be abased, and he that humbles himself shall be exalted. It reminds me of something that Jesus said way back at the beginning of his ministry, talking about the Beatitudes. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Why could not the Pharisees see the 
son of God, the second person of the Godhead. Why couldn't they see him? Because they weren't pure in heart. Why do many people see the miracles and the things which are going on today in the church, the great testimonies? Why can't they see God in them? Because they're not pure in heart. Amen. So when a man was invited to a dinner party, it was socially important for the invited guest to be seated at a high place of honor. See, all this has to do with pride, pride of heart. If this person were to take a seat reserved for someone else and he were to be relegated to a lower seat, he would be humbled. Amen. One thing I've noticed, and I'm talking about my life, that God has a way to humble us. Amen. There's certain things that happen in our life to humble us, to teach us, amen, what is true and what is powerful in the kingdom of God. Humility is a powerful force in the kingdom of God. So what Jesus is saying here, when you go in, just go in with a humble heart. Take the lower seat and you will be exalted to a higher seat. Notice again what Jesus said, whoever exalts himself shall be abased, but he that humbles himself shall be exalted. Amen, praise God. So there's a power of humility, amen, that God will use uh, to be a blessing to others and also a blessing to uh, you, yourself, praise God. Then see, then said he also, this is verse 12, to him that bade him, when you make a dinner or a supper, now he's talking to the head, the chief of the Pharisees. Now this guy's a religious, uh, religious person. He's he's the head, and he says to him, "When you make a dinner or a supper, call not your friends, nor your brethren, neither your kinsmen, nor your rich neighbors, lest they also bid thee again, and a recompense, a recompense be made of thee." In other words, what you do to them, you expect them to do back to you. Amen. But when you make a feast. Call the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, and you shall be blessed, for they cannot recompense you, for you shall be recompensed at the resurrection of the just. So real giving, amen, is to give to those that cannot do the same for you, amen. You see, and this is one of the hallmarks of the church, reaching out to the poor and to the needy, not asking anything of them. Just blessing them, what? Out of a compassion and out of a heart of mercy, praise God. So if we show favor towards someone and hoping that one day they'll return the favor, we have our reward. We've already got it. Amen. There'll be no mention of that when we stand before the Lord Jesus uh, to uh, be judged for rewards. But if we favor men out of a heart like Jesus, see, we want to be like Jesus, don't we? Jesus was motivated by love, by compassion, and by mercy. If we do for others out of love, out of compassion, out of mercy, the Lord in due time will bless us, praise God. And then he goes ahead and he gives another parable. And notice in verse 15, Luke records, and when one of them sat at meat with him, heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is he that shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. Now, why did this man say this? Well, this man say this because of the pride of his heart. Notice he says, Blessed is he shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. Amen. So this man, out of the pride of his heart, 
amen, said this. You know, he's asserting himself. He's saying, well, bless God, you're not you're not talking to me. Amen. I'm going to eat bread in the kingdom of God one day. And notice what Jesus said. And, it, and he said to them, a certain man made a great supper and bade many. And he sent his servant at supper time to say to them that were bidden, come for all things are now ready. And they all notice that and they all with one consent. Let me let me go back up here and read this again. Verse 16. Then said he unto them or unto him, the man that said this, blessed is he that shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. A certain man made a great supper and bade many. And he sent his servant. Notice he had already invited people. And verse 17, and he sent his servant at supper time to say to them that were bidden, come for all things are now ready. So this man that is going to have this banquet, he sent out invitations to all of his friends, to those many. He said many, many sent out invitations to many. And as supper was being prepared and being ready, he sent his servant out at supper time uh, to remind them and to tell them, well, supper's ready, come. Notice verse 18, and they all with one consent began to make excuse. The first said to him, I have bought a piece of ground and I must needs go and see it. I pray thee have me excused. Why did he not consent to go? Because of the pride of possessions. His possessions were more important than honoring uh, this man at the banquet. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I go to prove them. I pray thee have me excused. So his excuse was what? Out of what? Out of pride of business. His business, making money, was more important to him, amen, than honoring the man that called him to this banquet. And another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So this man made excuse out of what? Out of the pride of passion. You know, his family, his wife. His passions were more important to him than honoring this man. And so these excuses, notice that these excuses, amen, they came because of their rejection. You know, they used an excuse, but actually in their heart, it was a rejection of the one who called them to this banquet. So now the man that fixed and prepared this banquet, we can liken him unto God himself who sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who sent the word to them. Amen. Who sent the prophet John to them to prepare the way of the Lord. And the servant of this man can be likened unto the Lord Jesus Christ, the servant of Jehovah, who came and for three years preached the gospel. And for three years, these men that were called, many, many that were called, refused and rejected that message. And why did they reject it? Because out of their pride. Verse 21. So that servant came and showed his Lord these things. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servants, go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in hither the poor and the maimed and the halt and the blind. And the Lord of this man said, Lord, it is done and you as you have commanded and yet there is room. And the Lord said unto the servant, go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in 
that my house may be filled. For I say unto you that none of those men which were bidden shall taste of my supper. Now, who is he speaking to? He's speaking to the unbelieving Jews. That's exactly who he's speaking to. Now, who are the poor? The poor? Who are they? Well, the tax collectors, the prostitutes, the halt, the maimed, the blind. Remember in uh, John chapter 11, that man that was born blind? And he knelt at Jesus and said, who is he, Lord? Who is the Messiah that I may worship him? Amen. These are the the people when they're called, they come. But now the rich and the famous, those that are that because of the pride of life refuse to humble themselves. Amen. They're the ones that are going to be left out. They were invited. See, the house of Israel was invited. But they mostly refused the one that whom Jesus, whom God sent, and that's his son, Jesus. And Paul said this, he says, for you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And base things of the world and things which are despised Despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not to bring to naught the things that are. See, there's, there's many men in this world. Their problem is, and the reason why they cannot bow to, to their knee to Christ is because of the pride of life. And remember what John the Apostle said, Love not the world, neither the things in the world, for all that is in the world. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, they are in the world. And the world passes away in the lust thereof, but he that does the will of God shall abide forever. Amen. So I I look at what Paul said, and you know, I say this to myself. Uh, You know, I, I was one of the foolish things of the world. And the foolish things of the world, the simple gift of salvation, it's confounded the wise. The wise think they deserve it or the wise think that they have to do something to earn it. Amen. No, uh, the gift of salvation is free. And God has chosen the weak things of the world. I'm glad that I was a weak thing that God picked up out of the dunghill and set on a solid rock. Praise God. Amen. Hallelujah. The weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. The base things. We were base. Amen. We were underneath, amen, the gutter, praise God. And God rose us up. He picked us up, praise God. And he put life on the inside of us. Amen. He put a crown on our head. He put a finger on our hand. Amen. He robed us in righteousness, praise God. And he raised us up and made us sit together in heavenly places. Listen, that's, that is who we are now. We're sons of the king. We're heirs of Christ and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Praise God. Hallelujah. We're in that exalted position that the wise of this world, we could call them the Pharisees of this world, thought that they earned and thought they deserved. Now, we don't deserve anything. Amen. God, amen, he forgave us and pardoned us from the punishment of the things that they deserve. And every bit it, every bit of that which we deserve, which sin cursed us, was laid upon Jesus on the cross. Amen. And God pardoned us 
He did it because of his favor, his love, his mercy, his compassion. Amen. Not any things that, that we're that we've earned. Amen. What is the reward? Amen. The wages of sin is death. That's our reward. That was our reward. But now we have been given the reward of Christ. Why? Because we've humbled ourselves. Amen. We bowed our knee to the Lord Jesus and we've accepted that. Amen. Which God provided us. We accepted the servant that the man holding the banquet. I look at the banquet as the as the marriage supper of the lamb. Amen. Listen, you and I born again, children of God. That's where we're going to be. We're going to be at the marriage supper of the lamb. We're going to be at this great banquet. Amen. Hallelujah. And we're going to see the servant of Jehovah there, the one in whom we have made Lord and master over our life. I tell you, that's exciting. Praise God. Amen. Now, in Acts chapter 13, listen to what Luke records. Now, when the meeting of the synagogue had broken up, many of the Jews and of the God-fearing proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, were urging them to continue in the grace of God. See, not all Jews uh, refused to believe in Christ. Many of the Jews did. Remember now that the church in the first century was primarily made up of Jewish believers. And the next Sabbath, nearly the whole city assembled to hear the word of God. But when the Jews, the unbelieving Jews, the prideful Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began contradicting the things spoken by Paul and were blaspheming. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly and said, it was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first since you repudiate it. And judge yourselves, listen to this, and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. And judge yourselves unworthy. See, our actions are what we are going to stand before the Lord and be judged. If we've asked Christ to come into our heart and life, if we have repented of sin, And if we have humbled ourselves and bowed our knees before the Lord Jesus Christ, before the one in whom heaven, the family in heaven and earth is named, praise God. Amen. There's coming a day when we are going to be exalted. You may not be exalted in this life, but I guarantee if you hold on to Christ and you love him and you follow him, and you're pure in heart and you do those things that are right and always pleasing in his sight, you will be exalted one day. Think of the rich man and Lazarus. We're going to be studying about that in, in, the, in the sessions in the future. Think about Lazarus. At death, he was exalted. Amen. He was a companion of Abraham. But what happened to the rich man? Well, he found himself in hell. You see... The rich in this world, if they don't follow Jesus and if they don't commit themselves and everything they have to the cause of Christ, amen, one day they're going to leave this world, but they're not taking their riches with them. Amen. And the child of God, you may be poverty stricken throughout your life, but I guarantee you one thing at death, if you follow Jesus and stay close to him, amen, you're not going to take your poverty with you. (laughs) Praise God. Amen. You will be exalted in that day. Glory to God. Amen. So let's just hold on to Jesus. Let's just stay humble before him. Stay humble before men. Amen. And do exactly what Jesus said. If we humble ourselves in time, we will be exalted. Praise God. 
All right. Now, this last section is concerning the cost of being a disciple, counting the cost of being a disciple of the Lord Jesus. Once again, amen. He's speaking now. He's speaking to the Jews. He's speaking to those. But I want you to follow this now in verse 25. And there went great multitudes with him. Great multitudes means hundreds, thousands. So that means that these great multitudes now are following Jesus. Remember now, he's in the area of Judea. He's moved his ministry south. He's in Judea. And hundreds and thousands. And I want to ask you a question. Hundreds and thousands, great multitudes with him. I want to ask you, how many were in the upper room at Pentecost? Hundreds and thousands are following Jesus. But how many were in the upper room at Pentecost? 120. What happened to all these hundreds and thousands? Well, they endured for a while. But when persecutions and afflictions arose for the word's sake, they were what? They were offended. In other words, they went right back to what they were doing. See, there's a lot of people in this world that want freedom. But they're not willing to pay the price for it. Oh, yeah, they rise up, they riot, they protest. But when the government comes down on them like a brick, uh, they just retreat and go back to their sorry, pitiful lives. But they're not willing to pay the ultimate price for freedom. You see, what marks the United States of America out among the other nations of the world is that this, that our forefathers were willing to pay the ultimate price to be free. And there were many, not all, who lived in America. There were many who joined that fight. There were many that endured deprivation, hunger, famine, to fight for freedom. And they won that freedom for us with God's help. God ordained it. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. And we enjoy our freedom today. Well, that same price has got to be paid for each and every one of us if we want to maintain our freedom. Amen. And so here we have, we had great multitudes following Jesus. I mean, they were with him. And he turned, notice, and he turned and said unto them, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. So this is the cost. That when we come to Jesus, we leave everything else secondary. That's true. And verse 27 says, And whosoever does not bear his cross and come after me, he cannot be my disciple. So we do need to count the cost, don't we? Are we going to save our life and lose it? Or are we going to lose our life for Jesus' sake and find it? And I like this saying, in things pertaining to the essentials of the Christian faith, Christ always comes first. Your calling comes above your family and your friends and your home and your possessions. All that comes first. If God calls you, amen, that's your primary calling in life. But now in things pertaining to the non-essentials of the Christian faith, and believe me, there's a lot of non-essential things that go on in the church today. Amen. 
and concerning the non-essential things of the Christian family, then, then family comes first. We can't forsake our family. But if, if Jesus is calling us to do that, then we've got to go. We've got to do it. And God will make preparation. He will always supply, he'll always supply that which is lacking. And bearing the cross, it's always inconvenient on the flesh. Bearing the cross is always inconvenient on the flesh. But if Christ commands us to go, then we have to go. And if family truly loves us, then they will follow. Amen. And then Jesus says this in verse 28, For which of you intending to build a tower sits not down first and counts the cost, counting the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it? Less happily after he had laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all that behold it begin to mock him and saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. See exactly what Jesus, Jesus turned around to this multitude. He knew exactly what they were going to do. He knew that they were not going to be able to finish because they were not willing to count the cost. For them, it was too great. Or what king, verse 31, going to make war against another king, sits not down first and consults whether he be able with 10,000 to meet him that comes against him with 20,000. Or else while the other is yet a great way off, he sends an ambassador and desirous conditions of peace. So likewise, whoever, whosoever he be of you, talking to the multitudes, that forsakes not all that he has, he cannot be my disciple. Jesus must be first. Everything else must be secondary. And then Jesus ends this chapter by saying this. Salt is good, but if the salt have lost its savor, wherewith shall it be seasoned? It is neither fit for the land nor yet for the dunghill, but men cast it out. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. See, we can't be tepid. We have to be either hot or cold. We have to be on fire for Jesus or we have to be someone who is refreshing, someone who refreshes people, amen, has an effect on people. You know, when I when my children were babies and, and I would go to feed them, uh, we used to, you know, the, the baby bottle and, and, and we'd fix the formula and we'd have to hold that bottle underneath uh, hot water and, until that milk got tepid. And the only way that I could test it was to shake some of it on my wrist. And if I couldn't feel, if the milk was either too cold or too hot, I had to make it tepid where I could not feel it. Amen. That's what tepid is. Tepid means you make absolute, that people make absolutely no effect whatsoever on their, in their church or their community or the nation or state around them. That's tepid. God wants us to be hot or cold. Amen. And where does that begin? That begins by counting the cost, which is inconvenient on our flesh. But God will bless it and he will reward it. Amen. Father, we bless you today. We thank you for your goodness and for your mercy, Lord. Now, we just ask you to uh, the message today, the session today. Uh, Lord, we carried in our hearts, you know, intending to put it into practice. Father, we thank you for all of your manifold blessings that come to us and through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. Do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that if you were to die today, that you would be prepared for heaven? If you're not sure, then I encourage you to pray this prayer with me. 
Father God, I come to you through your Son, Jesus Christ. I repent and ask you to forgive me of my sin and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. I surrender my heart and life to you. By faith, I believe I receive you as my Lord and Savior, and I thank you for receiving me in Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed this prayer and desire to know more about the gift of Christ that the Heavenly Father offers you, then email us at rbtc86 at gmail.com. We will be glad to answer your questions promptly and provide you at your request with materials that will help you to grow in your faith in the Lord Jesus. This is Patsy Dunning. Thank you for listening to our broadcast today. And let me remind you to tune in to this station at the same time next week to hear more of the wonderful words of life. God bless you and remember what Jesus said. It is the Spirit who gives life.